0: dear lord um we thank you for our meeting today and lord uh you've given us precious instructions through your messenger lng white and Lord, as we explore one of our councils lord we ask that you would really guide us and lord inspire us tonight about how we can further your work this we want to pray in jesus name amen amen So just uh, before we begin a few housekeeping things first, like I said, this is being recorded so um, just adjust your mic and uh, adjust your camera accordingly, all right. Um, Also we are going to take questions uh, and just so as at the end and but if you have questions just put it in the chat box and we'll try to get to as many as possible, all right. So put in the chat box, we'll try to get it to as many as possible at the end, all right. But today uh, the Organization that's putting this on is two organizations. One is Pathways Last Lifestyle Medicine. Uh, There's a naturopathic lifestyle medicine clinic in Toronto. Uh, so we do more holistic care. So if you're interested in that, you can look at the uh, email, uh, the website there. Also, Lifestyle is Medicine Institute. So this is something that we started recently. Basically, our goal is to help train Avis Lane members in the basic concepts of lifestyle medicine. So that they can go out and share with others the wonderful health message that we have. So the institute is designed for that, and this really uh, the institute is the one really hosting this program today, and that's the website there. If you wanna learn more about some of the stuff, the courses that we're doing. All right, so today uh the topic um is about advent sanitariums and Uh, uh, Ellen White calls the Avenue Sanitariums a mystic stone. It's very interesting. A lot of people are not aware of this quotation, but I'm going to start with the quotation here, and I think you'll find it very interesting. In Testimonies, Volume 7, she says, God has given our sanitariums an important work to set in operation a work that will be as a stone instinct with life, growing as it is rolled by an invisible hand. Let this mystic stone be set in motion. So very fascinating words, choice of words by, uh, by the Lord's messenger. It almost sounds new agey. Um, when we shared this on Facebook, one person commented that this sounds very new agey, but of course it's not. Um, basically, I think Ellen White's really what she's saying is that the sanitarian work, is, there's something very special about this work, but our conviction is that I don't, we do not believe that this work has really been taken hold of as strongly as we ought to. So we have here two individuals who are well qualified to speak on this topic with us. Uh, first, we have Dr. Mark Sandoval, and Dr. Sandoval is the medical director for UT pines Institute. He is also the uh, health director uh, at, the con- at his local conference. So we thank Dr. Sandoval so much for coming uh, to join us today. Also, we have Dr. John Kelly, mm-hmm. and Dr. Kelly is a research professor at Loma Linda University, also founding president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a college that I'm a part of, and I've been really blessed uh, to be at the annual meetings. He's also, he's been affiliated with uh, various uh, lifestyle centers, including Black Hills and also Oak Haven. And so these individuals have a lot of experience, a lot of experience with sanitarium work, lifestyle centers, health immersions, these are kind of the new words these days. And uh, they're here to share with us, answer some of the common questions that We might have about this so dr john dr mark thanks so much for joining us today for the institute my pleasure good to be with you and with dr mark great yeah thanks so much i really appreciate it dr john you did us webinar for us on diabetes and that was really well received We really thank you so much for taking your time again to be with us and thank you dr mark for also taking your time as well well you know we're going to just do a question as a format and um before each question, I'm gonna just share with you a spirit of prophecy, quote for the benefit of our viewers, and then get your thoughts on the different uh, aspects of lifestyle center work or sanitariums. All right, so let's get right into it. First, uh, here's a quotation. I've been instructed that sanitariums are to be established in many places in the country, and that the work of these institutes will be greatly, will greatly advance the cause of health and righteousness. She also says, in another place in medical ministry, small sanitariums are established in many places so the question is this and i'll start with you dr john right now in america north america we probably can account on less than both hands the number of country-based admin sanitariums in canada there's only one that really functions somewhat like a sanitarium question to you is this sufficient how extensive was Ellen White's vision for sanitarium work? So like, are we there yet? Or are we far behind or are we kind of doing okay? What's your thoughts? So Dr. John first and uh, then Dr. Mark.
1: Yeah, well, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, vision that I get anyway, when I read Ellen White's council about sanitarium work is that we should have small sanitariums uh, in connection with every city of any significant size city and family-style sanitarians even, um, you know, so. And doesn't she also mention that we should have a treatment room in connection with our churches? So even I think she says even if it's a rather um, crude or rudimentary uh, facility, we should have, so that's not a sanitarium, but it certainly is like a a satellite, should be, I, I think, a satellite of a of a sanitarium. So my think my thinking is that we have uh, gone backwards, to be honest with you, in the last 100 years, since uh, Ellen White's uh, death in 1915. I I, I mean, I'm not uh, without hope. I'm, I'm, I'm de- <laughs> We're doing all we can to try and promote lifestyle medicine and, and sanitarium work. The lifestyle medicine is, of course, a secular Uh, endeavor but it is an excellent way to support the work of a sanitarium in my opinion.
0: Dr. Wark?
2: Well medical ministry page 324 she tells us there should be sanitariums near all our large cities. So you know how large is large that I suppose is debatable but uh, we should have sanitariums near each of them. Uh, I agree with John we are nowhere near uh, the completion of that vision. There needs to be many, many more, um, and uh, they need to be strategically placed near all of our large cities around the world.
0: So then, follow up to both of you. Then, um, uh, has the time for sanitation work to be effective? Has that passed? And also, um, you know, how come we're so behind? Uh, when I read it, it seems so clear to me, but. How come as a church we seem seem to lag a little bit here? So just very quickly, uh, Dr. Mark and then maybe Dr. John. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, Why are we way far behind? It's not because God has not given us the vision. It's because we haven't taken the vision and run with it. So the difficulty lies with God's people, not with God himself. Uh, Are we past the time for the effectiveness of uh, sanitariums or lifestyle centers? Absolutely not. I see the effectiveness every day, and uh, the lives that are converted in our lifestyle center, and uh, the transformation that happens, and so on. And I'm absolutely convinced that this is God's method. Mm
1: -hmm. Doctor John. Yeah, I I agree. Um, There's so much that could be said about this, and I'm I'm sure we'll unpack it a little bit more as we go on tonight. But I guess the one thing I would say is that I think that um, there is a growing interest. I'm pretty excited how the current uh, COVID-19 pandemic has created an interest in um, hydrothermal therapy and some of these Mm -hmm. things that um, we were you know using 100 years ago very effectively but but have sort of gone out of fashion, I guess you would say. So I, I have great hope. I think, I think that the sanitarium work is, is like the, she said that our schools are prisoners of hope. I think that, that we're going to see a, a great uh, sanitarium work before Christ returns.
0: That's really encouraging. <laughs> well, moving on here. Uh, here, this is another quote. The Lord years ago gave me a special light in regard to the establishment of, health, of a health institution where the sick could be treated on altogether different lines from those following other institutions in our world. It was to be founded and conducted upon Bible principles as the Lord's instrumentality. And this is the punchline here that I want to focus on. And it was to be in His hands one of the most effective agencies for giving light to the world. Mm-hmm. In Testimonies Volume 9, she says, Santerne work is one of the most successful means of reaching all classes of people. You know, Dr. John, Dr. Mark, you know, when I uh, think about the church, you know, we we're researching all these different methods of how to reach young people, old people, all these like new methods, yet, we see it seems that we're often missing one of the methods we always clearly said is one of the most effective. So Dr. John, you know, uh, you're really research-based and can you tell us, um, are there studies right now that's looking at uh, health immersion programs and are they showing that they can have some clinical benefits, at least in terms of health? Can you maybe share some of those?
1: Yes. Yes. You know there is a a growing body of um, of clinical research that's published that is showing the benefit of basically the health message that is what we would call it in Adventist circles uh, that the Lord gave uh, insight to the remnant church. You know we we were t- uh, given insights on. The value of the Eden diet uh, eating more like the Adam and Eve did and uh, and now, of course that 's commonly called a whole food plant diet or, or a vegan diet as of course um, is and i 'm not by that statement, I need to make sure i don 't confuse anyone i 'm not saying that a vegan diet is exactly the diet that God advocated, but what i'm uh, is what I am saying is that 's the uh, secular counterpart to it, I would say. And I think that the research uh, on this is, uh, is compelling. I just recently had a paper uh, accepted for the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine, and uh, it's in connection with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, where we did a review uh, and showed why the evidence indicates we should be making remission the treatment goal for type two diabetes and uh, advocating using a whole food plant diet and, to pursue that. So the research is certainly stronger than it has ever been in my, in, you know, it, the research is growing, so it's better than it ever was. And yet um, there's a, a lot of momentum um, for other kinds of uh, modalities. Let's face it, pharmaceuticals are, are more profitable than uh, hydrotherapy or plant diet and sleep. But, but this p- pandemic shows us that the, the uh, lifestyle is the strongest treatment uh, th- that we really have for many diseases, uh, especially the ones that are brand new to us, like uh, the, cor- the novel coronavirus. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, okay, thank you, and you know, aren't there studies coming up about like actually studying into immersion programs? I've seen a few studies where they take people for like eight days, actually in like a setting, kind of like a sanatorium, and they show some clinical benefits.
1: Yes, I I I didn't speak directly to that part of your question, but indeed the 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 research on immersion programs is growing. It's called, in the literature, they refer to it as ITLC, intensive therapeutic lifestyle change. Um, James Rippey for, has a a book that is his third edition now of um, a book called. Lifestyle Medicine. And the first edition came out in 1999. And there's a chapter in there uh, on intensive therapeutic lifestyle change, um, where it's all about doing an immersion kind of intensive treatment. I would also point out that recently, uh, what, about a year ago, just under a year, the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine uh, approved the Uh, criteria the competencies for a lifestyle medicine specialist or uh, an intensivist who is the that's the training that a physician or um, or clinician would have for doing immersions. so so this whole area of immersions is definitely growing uh, and the research is is growing
0: yes absolutely it's good it's good for our viewers to know that there's actually science behind this type of work it's not just something that we're kind of making up and going with the flow amen yeah, Dr. Mark, now how about spiritual aspects? So, you know, a lot of people haven't been to like the UG Pines mm-hmm. or Wildwood, And so can you just share with us very briefly, you know, so what's, some of the evangelistic, uh, what's some of the evangelistic potential that we see at these of centers like the UG Pines?
2: Well, it is it is absolutely powerful um, to be able to meet with individuals, to meet their needs, uh, to care for them, to take them from where they're at with their particular concerns relative to a particular disease process, uh, and then to bring in that the the idea that they have a spiritual need and the spiritual need is driving their physical dysfunction, and uh, to help them to see how that fun how that works, um, and then to bring them to the place where they where they see that they are absolutely in need of a savior and the hope that they have is not really in a diet it's not really an exercise in these things although those are an expression of uh what should i say those are that is the expression of one's faith but the real the real need that they have is a savior and the gospel uh, is that real need and as we have understood that more and more clearly and we have integrated it more and more fully in our lifestyle program It is awesome to see the transformation that happens in individuals' lives, the spiritual transformation. Um, I, you know, I have individuals, every session we have people that are, that are coming to Christ, that are finding out about justification and the freedom that comes at the cross uh, and righteousness by faith uh, for the first time, even though they might have been in church for many years. And it is—it's exciting to be able to lead somebody to the foot of the cross and and see them surrender their heart to Christ uh, in your in your office and uh, you know and to be able to do that and. We have, we have come to recognize, which we should have recognized all along, but it's been a growth process for each one that comes to Uchi Pines and becomes a part of the staff of growing out of what our previous background had been into something that is greater. And the greater understanding is that everybody is there for salvation. That's really why they're there, not to get better physically for a few years, but for salvation. And as we focus on that, uh, and as we integrate it, it becomes more and more of the experience, and it's just—it's exciting. It really is.
0: Now, I remember when I was at uh, uh, Wildwood for uh, two months or so, and at the graduation, each graduation session, I was blown away by the testimonies of the people that came, and I really realized then that what i White's saying here about this about the evangelistic potential is was really powerful. And I'm pretty sure YouTube puns are probably the same. And you know, what's, what strikes me is that aren't secular people now doing what we call health immersion programs? Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Joel Furman, and Rip es- I mean uh, Dr. Esselstyn's son, they're, they're, they're doing these immersion programs, of course, in a secular way, but I hope that we don't become the uh, tail. We, we remain the head. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, an immersion program, again the the purpose for for this work and the purpose for every work that God calls us to is for salvation. The purpose is for eternity. And so, yes, the enemy is going to uh, he is going to bring counterfeits that are out there, and the closer that it looks like the real thing, the more dangerous that it is. And so you know you'll have you'll have other programs that are out there. Um, you know, like the Ornish program and so on, it looks really great, has lots of great numbers. It's, you know, it's promoted by, you know, it's accepted by Medicare and other different insurance companies and so on. And there, there are effects associated with it. Um, but, you know, every time Ornish comes to American College of Lifestyle Medicine, there's a meditation event that happens. And, you know, there's, 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 there, there's very much of a pushing for a, for an Eastern, Um, theology, you know, associated with it. And, uh, and so, you know, the enemy knows that the right arm is the, I mean, the the health message is the right arm of the three angels messages. And so he knows that that needs to be the right arm of his message as well. And so, yes, we can look at temporary benefits, we can look at, you know, uh, uh, you know, an atheist can eat a, a plant based diet, and, and can exercise and incorporate lifestyle, you know, appropriate lifestyle factors in their life. And there there is a benefit. And you can see that benefit uh, when it comes to diseases and when it comes to, you know, physical longevity here and now. But if we don't touch eternity, if we don't lead individuals to a faith relationship with Christ, where their lifestyle is simply an out, working or a demonstration of the faith that they have in christ if their focus is the lifestyle if it is the diet if it is the exercise then we have really misdirected uh the individuals it must be something of an internal basis
0: right dr john how about you when you see others doing immersion programs non-adventists uh how do you what do you make of that just very quickly.
1: Sorry, my connection was unstable. Did you you ask me that question, Dr. George? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, what I, um, you know, as the, as the founder and president for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which is a secular uh, medical society promoting and advancing lifestyle medicine, we Seventh-day Adventists need to be about our business. We need to be serious about leading the lifestyle medicine field. It, uh, I agree with uh, what Dr. Mark Sandoval said about uh, Ornish. And I, he's, a, he's a friend of mine, but he, he is unabashedly promoting his um, approach to religion, you know, uh, his Swami, his, yeah, his yeah. Uh, meditation approach. And, and I can't fault him for that. To right. the extent, to the, I mean, uh, I certainly uh, am unabashedly a Christian, and I never hide it. Uh, try to make it as, as plain as anyone can, um, in my secular work. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, we, the the solution is for us Christians, Seventh-day Adventists, to let our light shine, uh, and we it will definitely uh, accomplish God's purpose if we'll do that.
0: Right, right. All right, well, moving on here, uh, I have a few others here. Um, uh, she says in letter 181, Ellen White, I've urged that many small sanitarians be established in places out of the cities. She also says, uh, We are not to erect in the cities large buildings in which to care for the sick because God has plainly indica- indicated that the sick can be better cared for outside of the cities. In many places, it will be necessary to begin sanitary work in the cities. As much as possible, this work should be transferred to the country as soon as suitable locations can be secured. Dr. Mark, I'll start with you um, just very quickly. So, how far out is enough? I guess. <laughs> I think that's because people have this question you know, how far, how country is country?
2: Right. Well, uh, Councils on Health, page 167, Ellen White says uh, that it is the expressed will of God that our sanitarium shall be established as far from the cities as is consistent. So as far from the cities as is consistent. And there's another passage, I don't remember exactly where it was, where she says that uh, she, w- she had mentioned specifically about 30 miles. But of course, recognizing at the time that she made the statement, you're talking about horse and buggy, and uh, 30 miles out of the city, uh, nowadays could be quite a bit farther than that um, if you're considering travel time and whatever, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. But I think the main principle is as far from the cities as is consistent.
0: Okay, Dr. John.
1: Yeah. Yes, I think mean, that's a. This is a great question. I, I too have looked for miles, just curiosity, and I saw. I've seen the thirty. There was another one where she mentioned. Um, I think it was in um, New York State that was about sixty miles, so the farthest I've I've seen anywhere. But then when you think about Loma Linda, um, the um, sanitarium there in 1904 to 1910, anyway, that was to um, reach li- Los Angeles. So they were considering that sanitarium to be reachable from uh, Los Angeles because they had a mm. railroad, they had the train. And uh,
0: okay.
1: so, yeah, I think that Mark is right on the point is, is, is far as far into the country as is consistent. And uh, I don't think you can put an exact number of miles on it. Um, I, I will say one thing about that. There is some interesting research now um, that is um, showing us that indeed the balsam of the pine, the the uh, fragrance uh, of the country, is one of the things that is turning out that actually has therapeutic value. Um, we all know that pollution uh, is less. I mean, there's so so many ways that that um, that is true. The treatment is more effective in the country if we can get. If we can do
0: it there, right? And environmental health is really big now too. Environmental impacts. All right. Uh, moving on here. Now, this is a very interesting uh, thing. I wanted to get your comment on. Uh, she says, "In the place of wrecking large sanitariums, we should establish smaller sanitariums in many places. A few patients in a small institution can be helped and educated to much greater advantage than a large number of gathered together in a large institution." That's General Comfort Bulletin. She also says in Gospel Herald. Treatment rooms and small sanitariums must be established for the people must be taught how to live healthfully. Then she wrote to Brother Paulson uh, Pray most earnestly for Kellogg. He is going directly contrary to the light that God has given in regard to building of smaller sanitariums. The evils of erecting a large, very large sanitarium in any place should be fully understood. The Lord has revealed to me that if, in the place of having one mammoth sanitarium in Battle Creek, Smaller sanitariums could be established in several cities. His name would be glorified the centering of saying of so much in one place is contrary to God's order small plans should be started in many places So I'm gonna start with you dr. John. So how small is small? How large is too large? And just kind of obviously you can't pinpoint but just kind of give us a sense there
1: Well, one thing we do know is that when you have a smaller uh, group it is more the communication is easier, the, the, it's more nimble. Uh, you can, just so many things that are easier to do with a small team than with a huge, um, large team. And it is interesting that Dr. Kellogg um, was, you know, he had the councils that told him to not rebuild when, they, when the uh, sanitarium, Battle Creek Sanitarium burned. Um, he was counseled that the Lord did not want such a large institution, and, and you know he built even larger, uh, and it and it failed. Um, so, I I believe that the the answer to this is um, um, something in the, probably under um, fifty to a hundred beds. To my mind, would be the largest um, sanitarium typically, but the more common size could be anywhere from um, a dozen to to two dozen. Um, rooms or beds we call them but of course um, I have worked in um, uh, sanitariums of different sizes um, I've worked with Weimar with Wildwood, Uchi Pines years ago, uh, Eden Valley, uh, Black Hills <laughs> and Oak Haven, uh, there and I would say to you the most common size that from my experience that works well is somewhere around 15 to 20 um, groups of 15 to 20 individuals or couples well i'm interested to see what mark's uh comments about this are
2: um well i think one statement that uh homes thing in homes it in best for me from the spirit of prophecy comes from uh testimonies to the church volume eight and it's around 204 205 And she was mentioning, this is is a 2003, I mean, a 1903 publication. So it's after the burning down of the Battle Creek Sanitarium and the rebuild. And she says the Battle Creek Sanitarium is too large. A great many workers will be required to care for the patients who come a 10th of the number of patients who come to that institution is as many as can be cared for with the best results in one medical missionary center. Mm -hmm. And so what was the size of the institution at that time? It was close to 1,000 beds. At a capacity, was close to 1,000 patients. It expanded a little bit more after that to a maximum of about 1,300. And so if you say that a 10th, so you're looking at somewhere around 100 to 130 being the maximum that an institution would be able to sustain and in another place she mentions why that's the case and it's because the purpose for the institution is for the spiritual development and for the salvation of the souls that come there and when the institution becomes too large then it becomes too difficult for that institution to focus on the spiritual care and management of the patients now one comment in regards to loma linda when loma linda was purchased it had 90 rooms and ellen white was very happy with the size of it and in fact was in agreement with john burden and others that it needed some immediate expansion uh, in order to increase some of its capacity now initially some of those rooms were taken up by staff members and not all of them were occupied by patients but what they wanted to do is they wanted to build enough so that staff members could have housing and so on and then all of those rooms could be used for patients uh and uh, so small is not necessarily as small as some people think of Um, but the focus needs to be for again the spirituality the salvation of the individuals that are coming to it and when it becomes too large it becomes too unwieldy and it's difficult to maintain that atmosphere
0: yes thank you can i just say yes. yes
1: So, yes, that's true, uh, Pastor, uh, Dr. Mark. But keep in mind also that Loma Linda was destined to be a training center, a major training center. So it was more than just a center Absolutely. But I do appreciate the, I do appreciate the fact that we, uh, when I said uh, um, uh, suggesting something around 20, I certainly was not talking about the maximum. I was just talking about what I think is a common, uh, very workable size.
0: Right. So then,
2: I um, I absolutely agree with that.
0: Follow up to both of you, then. Um, and you don't have to uh, comment if you don't want to. Uh, but like, for like some of our hospitals today, do um, you think they kind of they're more like the Battle Creek, or you think? Um,
1: well, know, are they are they too large? <laughs> well, I'll just say this. Um, I think that the council for hospitals. Uh, was different than for sanitariums. Um, I think the common mistake that we have made is sometimes we equate Adventist hospitals with Adventist sanitariums, they, they're not. Ellen White wrote about both institutions, both fac- kind of facilities uh, contemporaneously. She talked about when she was in Australia needing, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, a sanitarium. And also another place she, she said we need a hospital, um, and so she was aware of the different types of institution. I'm not sure what the optimal size for a hospital is, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was appropriate for it to be larger than a sanitarium. But um, again, I'm, I'm on the edge of our knowledge because we don't have a lot. She, she, had, she did not write a lot about hospitals, although she did speak of them. So I guess what I'm wanting to say is that I don't consider the Adventist hospitals to be Adventist sanitariums. And uh, I would like to see us have uh, sanitariums and I believe they would need to be and would be smaller than hospitals.
0: Interesting, okay. Dr. Mark, yes, any comment, quick um,
2: comment? Yeah, there's uh, a statement. And again, I don't remember where this one is. I'd have to look it up again um where ellen White makes a makes a statement she makes a comparison and she says that if our uh if our institutions solely function as hospitals then they um
1: oh they they failed to achieve their purpose you know,
2: that's kidding. right they failed to achieve their okay. achieve their purpose okay. and so again the focus is not on the the treatment modalities and the size and everything like that, the focus is on salvation. That's the purpose for the institution. And so if it solely functions as a hospital, mm-hmm. then God doesn't recognize it as his own. It fails in its very purpose because the purpose for the thing in the hands of Seventh-day Adventists is for the salvation of souls. Now it's not right. just for hospitals, it's also for uh for like restaurants and for health food stores and any other aspect of, of institutions in, in Adventist care, like with the, with the restaurants, she says, if they, if you look at it and you see that there's not salvation or there's not conversion coming for individuals that are going there, shut the thing down, put your, put your time and your money and other things because the purpose is for the salvation of souls.
1: Well, can, can I share a thought right there? I really yes. appreciate yeah. I really appreciate that. And I want to encourage us, all of us on this, on this uh, webinar to think about this a moment, how, is it right for us to think that we can ask non-adventist employees working in an Adventist institution to help us evangelize the patients to be Adventist? It's not appropriate to ask a Baptist to teach my beliefs to the patients. And in fact, if they're going to share their faith, they're going to have to share their faith. They're not going to share my faith. And so, I think that something that is very different about the way we operate hospitals than the way that we were supposed to operate sanitariums is we were supposed to staff sanitariums with Seventh day Adventist believers who were there for evangelism and to do the work of Christ. Today, in a hospital, we, I mean, yes, we, we like to have it as a good PR for the church. We like to, to you know, tout our prowess, if I might say that, in medical circles. But in reality, we don't see it as primarily an evangelistic endeavor. Um, and, and, I, and I worked for years. I mean, I was faculty at Loma Linda for a few years. I um, had my 10-year uh, uh, button or whatever, so I was there at least 10 years. And I can tell you that um, wonderful people, but you cannot do uh, evangelism with a, a wide variety of, of staff. That right, right. some 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 are christian some maybe are questionable even as to whether they're even Christian anyway that, right, I just right, want to, yeah. I think that's important to keep in mind
0: no that, I really appreciate that I think that's a really really critical point thank you so much for sharing um and now we'm going to move on here to this one and uh, this might be a little bit tricky one but I uh, definitely uh, would appreciate your thoughts on this so she writes here this is what Melinda messages G. white a wonderful response rests upon those connected with the sanitarians established in his name for the treatment of the sick. This is to be done without the use of poisonous drugs. She goes on, review and herald, our sanitarians are one of the most successful means of reaching all classes of people. Institutions for the care of the sick are to be established where men and women may be placed under the care of God-free medical missions and to be treated without drugs. So the question to both of you is this. Um, you know we need to be balanced uh about this but like so what what uh, what is uh, kind of the balance that we can approach this cause this way because there's those who say like drugs okay just drugs whenever whenever you know then the other one there's other sides that say like no one ever ever use a drug you know <laughs> in no no situation ever right so uh like how do we understand this so let's begin with you uh, dr john and then dr Mark. Uh, just very quickly. Uh. Yeah. uh
1: oh well I don't know if you can very quickly, but anyway, uh <laughs> this you could I believe you could have an entire hour talking and studying the councils about about this. Uh, yeah, or more. But I'll say since you want to be quick, I'll just say this. I will tell you that as a physician, when I uh when I work with patients, um if they are let's say a seventh day adventist and they are taking medications, they're quite sick and sometimes i have a patient who says you know i i want to get off my medication i don't think that's what god really intended i will help them in every way we can to make lifestyle changes to to pray and ask for miracles to be able to um, stop the use of medicines to suit their personal convictions my my personal conviction as a physician is uh, if I do not believe in the use of a medication, and there are medicines that I will not prescribe, I will I will not oversee. Um, for example, to me, uh, taking many of the oncology medications are they are poisons. I don't. You can you know say whatever you want. They are very dangerous poisons, and I have a conviction against the use of poisonous drugs. And so, and I believe um, that, uh, and if people say, well, I I feel like God is wanting me to use conventional therapy. I will refer them to physicians that I believe uh, are comfortable with that and let them do it because, but for me, I don't do that. Um, And um, I have had patients that have said they wanted to quit their medicines and I have told them i will tell you what i do i i I talk with them very sincerely and clearly and i I want to find out are they trying to do this because they're afraid that god is punishing them for doing something they shouldn't do i don't i that's not the motivation in my opinion to, to quit but if they are convicted that god can heal them without these medications and they are willing to place themselves in his hands I am perfectly comfortable with that approach and mm-hmm. encourage them and pray with them. And, and I, but I, what I do is I say, you know, Mr. Jones, let me just clarify one thing. If in fact God's answer is he's going to heal you at the resurrection and not now, not this week, are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. And if they're okay with that, then I'm perfectly okay with it. Right. So I, and I will say one of the, I have, I don't, I bet you all I could count on, one hand or at most two hands the number of medications i have initiated in the 15 or 20 years i've been practicing medicine i don't i do not prescribe new medications as a general rule
2: wow
0: okay dr, uh, dr. mark
2: yes um Testament of the church volume five page 443 says there are many ways of practicing the healing art but there is only one way that heaven approves God's remedies are the simple agencies of nature that will not tax or debilitate the system through their powerful properties. And it talks about pure air, water, cleanliness, proper diet, purity of life, and so on. And then at the end of that paragraph, it says, but drugs are expensive, both in the outlay of means and in the effect produced upon the system. Um... And then we're told in medical ministry, page 27, paragraph two, it says, as to drugs being used in our institutions, it is contrary to the light, which the Lord has been pleased to give. And then she goes on to say at the end of that paragraph, sanitariums were to reform the medical practices of physicians. Um, So we have been trained in pharmacology, but there's another way of practicing that God approves. There's one way. So, you know, we get caught up there, there, you know, there's many ways of practicing the healing arts. It's true. You can go out there and you can find pretty much anything that you can want to find in regards to it, but it's like salvation. Salvation, there's one way, right? There By only one name are we saved, right? Through Jesus Christ. And uh, there, it's the narrow way. And it's the same thing with healing too. There's only one way that heaven approves. And health, Real health, true health, mirrors salvation, and it mirrors that faith relationship with him and so if we try to do a what should I say if we try to play on both sides of the fence then uh, then well, you know the enemy owns the fence um, <laughs> and uh, and we're never really we're never really firm from that standpoint, but that said. I will say this, before, uh, before we were able to manufacture insulin, type 1 diabetes was a universally fatal diagnosis, right? And now individuals live for decades with type 1 diabetes, and, uh, and before there was the uh, manufacture of thyroid hormone, right. then individuals who developed uh, hypothyroidism, severe hypothyroidism, that, that was fatal and and so now we have you know some of these modalities that that we can use where individuals can stay alive where they don't have that functionality and um and i have initiated medications much more often than john has because they come to uchi pines with the expectation that we were going to take them off their medication in the first place and so they show up without anything and they (laughs) they've already had their thyroid ablated or they're type 1 diabetic and they show up without insulin they show up without thyroid hormone and I go ah, 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 ah here's a Amen. prescription a pharmacy you gotta pick this up you got to take it we're gonna work with you on lifestyle and the, you know and, and the rest of these things but there's some stuff we just can't get around because you don't have a thyroid anymore or right. you know you don't have a functioning pancreas anymore uh, and so those are things that need to be con- in, taken into consideration too and also you know, this is not a discussion in regards to the hospital setting. Um, You know, I mean, if I, if I cut my fingers off and I go into the ER, I'll be very happy for some lidocaine or bupivacaine (laughs) or something like that. And, you know, something to help out with the pain in the short term. And if, if I'm in a critical condition, well, then I'm very grateful that there's an ICU where there are some really powerful medications that can be used in that particular setting. Or if I have to have surgery, please, Put me out. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and so on. So there, are, I think that there are appropriate locations where there are where there is the appropriate use of, you know, medications. But the purpose for the sanitariums were not to continue the medications and the other way of treating individuals, but it was to teach individuals how to care for themselves. As they see their body as the temple of Christ, and to find and to, to cooperate with Christ in those things that seem too simple, and God works through the things that are too simple to bring about profound results, so that the glory and the honor go to Him and not to the things.
1: If I if, if I might add, there's one other statement that has impressed me about this, and I agree with what Marcus said. I I, I we we're, we're in harmony, even though we're speaking to different aspects of this question. Um, and that is, she Ellen White says that we need to study and physiology. She says the more you understand the physiology, the less and less you use medications until you cease to use them at all. So, mm-hmm. I, I believe that we should be doing more diligent research looking for the non-pharmaceutical approaches. Uh, and and I appreciate that yes. aspect of naturopathy, naturopathy for example. Hey,
0: Thank you so much. I was really uh, looking forward to your thoughts on, on that topic. This is another one as well. Um, I think this is a really challenge, I think, uh, that people have. So God designs that our sanitarians shall be a means of reaching high and low, rich and poor. But the reality is obviously that um, that a lot of sanitarians to uh, go there. And then to pay for the services, seems a little expensive, several thousands of dollars. Um, and obviously those in the lower socioeconomic status, it seems like they would be hard pressed to access those services. So you both have been in this business for a while now. What are your thoughts, very quickly? Uh, what are your thoughts? So let's start with Dr. Mark here.
2: Okay. Um, well, of course we're told that that we are not to uh, not to use the the practices of, of other physicians as our criterion for how to charge for things and if we perform okay. a simple operation we should have a simple price and so on and that those exorbitant prices charged by physicians is robbery and fraud that's what we're told in medical ministry 121 122 so um, our criteria can't be the criteria of the world but yet at the same time, a ministry cannot continue to function if it does not do so as, as, a, as a financial institution, too. Um, you know, we have we've got 60 full time volunteers plus family members and so on at Uchi Pines. There's a certain amount of income that we need to have in order to give everybody their below poverty level stipend. And uh, you know, and, and and still have the institute function and pay bills and, and, and so on. so we need to we need to have a revenue and some people think that it would be really nice if everybody could do everything free. And indeed,' I'm, I agree with that. I would love to be able to provide free services. Um, But we don't have the capacity of doing that. And I'm not sure that's actually necessarily the best way. Because for some that we we have provided a, quotes, a free ride for, uh, sometimes they're demanding, they're unappreciative, they, you know, uh, take advantage. And those who actually really invest in it are ones that actually uh, get the most out of it because they do have a vested interest uh, in it. Now, one of the ways that we try to help out with it um, is we have the Dr. Agatha Thrash Memorial Fund, which is a scholarship fund. So we seek for donations for individuals that would donate into that particular fund and we use that to help offset uh, cases of individuals who can't afford to come but need to come um, and so on. And every year, we give away well over hundred thousand dollars worth of of uh, services free or discounted uh, to individuals that are coming through the center and this year alone, by the time we got to the end of March, it was about sixty thousand dollars worth of of uh, services that we had you know that we had we weren't charging for, and you know having individuals come in even at the same time that things are really tight for us. Uh, financially, and COVID has not been uh, has not been nice to us from a financial standpoint. But we believe that we are doing what the Lord has called us to do, and we know that He is the one that will uh, that He will pull us through. And this work began in sacrifice, and it will end in sacrifice. And we are sacrificing, and we are not jumping out of the hot water.
0: I would,
1: uh, I would, I would point out a couple of things. You know, I, before I went into medicine, I worked for Blue Cross and Blue Shield for a number of years. Um, in IT and one of the things that has really changed since Ellen White's day to our day that has really made it hard for sanitariums to survive is that health insurance covers non-sanitarium care but it almost covers no uh, very little of the care provided in a sanitarium setting and uh, lifestyle medicine is making uh, changes in that slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the intensive cardiac rehab programs, uh, Ornish, Benson, Critchendon; these programs, <clears throat> excuse me, are being reimbursed um, by insurance and by Medicare. And that's that. In my opinion, that is what I wish we would have had the foresight to do. Was uh, as the health insurance started taking hold. If for hospital care and, and non-sanitarium care, I wish we would have been able to do the research and show that sanitarium treatment is in fact medical care and, and medically indicated and should be reimbursed. That is the goal of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, for, to be, by the way, is to per, um, create reimbursement for lifestyle medicine. Uh, and it's, it's coming, it's gonna happen.
0: Great, great. All right, moving on here. Uh, and for those of you, if you have a questions, you could type it in the chat box. We're going to get to your questions uh, very soon. All right, uh, this one here is a very interesting question. Uh, why should the Christian physician, well, she says this in Testimony Volume 1, why should a Christian physician who is believing, expecting, looking, waiting, and longing for the coming of the kingdom of Christ uh, when sickness death will no longer have power over the saints, expect more pay for his services? than the Christian editor or the Christian minister. She's talking about physicians who are walk, working at the sanitarium. Now, I think um, I think a common um, worry is that it's, it's hard to attract doctors to work at a sanitarium when they're being paid so little. Uh, of course, so they're supposed to sacrifice and so forth. So, and I think um, for those who want to start sanitariums, uh, the challenge is, like, you know, how do we find doctors who want to do this? with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt and so forth, so uh, can you comment on this? Um, let's begin with you, Dr. John. I know you try to change things through the American College there, the last time I mentioned, so very quickly. And then I know Dr. Mark, you have your own personal story. Uh, so maybe you could just quickly comment on that. So Dr. John. Sure.
1: Well, I would say that first off, uh, this council is clear and I agree with it. And I do, I do not, um, receive or expect or ask for pay any more than a pastor. In fact, when I uh, was involved after I left Loma Melinda, coming back to my home state of Virginia, and we started a, a um, church-affiliated lifestyle clinic, um, I was paid at the same rate as our pastor. Um, mm. And uh, I believe, I mean, it, uh, you know, we say it's hard. I heard you say it's hard to attract uh, physicians uh, because they can make so much. Well, they, if they are aware of this council and they are and they still uh, expect uh, exorbitant pay, uh, there, there's a spiritual problem, in, in my opinion. You know, I mean, I'm not I. I I love these people, you know, they're colleagues, so many of them Loma Linda graduates, but that's not what the council says and we need to obey the council. Okay, secondly, uh, the fact is that um, I I was acquainted with the Lifestyle Center of America uh, from its early days. Um, I mean, I I was there as a medical student rotating. I think they had only been going like two years when I first uh, visited there and I was associated off and on with them until, they went out of, uh, out of business. And what I can tell you is that uh, the beginning of the end for the Lifestyle Center of America was when they replaced the mission-minded physicians with um, non-mission-minded physicians. They, the whole approach is uh, very different. They, they wanted, they were. Tr- it seems to me they were trying to get, to increase the uh, qualifications and so they started paying higher pay, and what they got were, were doctors who were used to getting the, that kind of pay. But but the mission-minded uh, physicians have a different approach. I mean, I want to spend time with a patient. I'm, I, I simply will not work where I cannot spend time with the patient. No point in me titrating the, the electrolytes and the medications and never having a chance to pray with them or talk about spiritual things. I, I, I don't work there. I don't do that mm-hmm. kind of work. Yes, it pays twice or three times what I can make it as a sanitarian physician, but oh my goodness, the the uh, blessings of being able to be involved in evangelism is unspeakable. There's no price you could put on it. Amen.
0: Dr. Mark, very quickly.
2: Um, yeah, I, I I completely agree. I mean, I I came to Uchi pines and as the medical director and president i was making less money than i was making in high school working in a a health food store um (laughs) so you know and that was going to Uchi pines with a significant educational debt and a family of my wife and i and four children now we have six um and uh, one adopted. And and so, you know, we are, you know, the question was really, how is the Lord going to supply the need when we really don't have the resources and there was no real promise for help. And uh, from that standpoint, but I was reading about the Israelite history at the time and Israel coming out of Egypt and going through the wilderness and coming into the promised land. And I realized that the Lord was able to supply the need of well over Mm. 2 million people in the middle of the desert with apparently no resources. He brought water. He brought food. He brought everything that they needed. Their sandals didn't wear out. They weren't sick. I mean, everything went the way that it needed to go in the midst of the desert uh, in order for those people to be able to make it through in all the time that they were there. And, uh, And so if he was able to supply their need, he can supply my need. The lack is not of money or finances. God has all of that. All the gold and silver is mine, says the Lord. The lack is faith and people that have that faith and are going to be willing to step out with it and you know face sacrifice. Now, currently, I am debt free. My school loans are paid off. I have Mm -hmm. never gone without a meal except if I was purposely fasting. Uh, My wife and I, our family, has purchased uh three separate vehicles, not brand not new, you know. I mean we looked for really good deals and, and so on. And one of those we purchased even when we only had three hundred dollars in the bank. You know, and, and we got a five thousand four hundred dollar vehicle that should have been uh probably eight thousand or so. And, you know, and it's because we had the ministry need at the time for having the vehicle and just kept praying about it and asking the Lord. And he brought circumstances and situations around in order to make that happen. And we have seen no. over and over again where the Lord has provided, where we didn't know how in the world he was going to provide, that he does it. And if you step out in faith and you trust him and you, and you follow in his pathway, he will work out the finances. Amen. While you are being faithful with, with your side of the issue and not being careless with the little finances that he has given to you,
0: Amen, well, Doctor Mark. That's really encouraging. You know, uh, even for myself as a young doctor, is really encouraging. And uh, also for Doctor John, you know, maybe through ACLM, we'll get more the next generation of doctors who are more focused on last on medicine. Maybe the administ doctors will be uh, more inclined to work at these places, because of mm-hmm. inspired by last on medicine. Last question to both of you uh, before we uh, uh, close up and get to questions here. Uh, this is the one I uh, really want your thoughts on. Um, is regarding the relationship with the church. Uh, so here we go. Testimonies, volume six. As a medical missionary work becomes more extended, there will be a temptation to make it independent of our conference. But it has been presented to me that this plan is not right. So I think like uh, something that people struggle with is so like, what should be the relationship with the organized church? Um, what exactly should be the relationship there? Should it be directly controlled by separate corporation? Arms length? So uh, maybe Dr. Mark, maybe uh, you could really call in here, then go to Dr. John.
2: Well, I am in a current, you know, a current situation where we're seeking to bridge the gap. I'm the well, I was the president of u.g Pines. I'm now the medical director, and um, And I'm also the health ministries director of the conference seeking to kind of bridge that gap between the conference and uh, the the supporting organizations. And again, we are supporting organizations. We are seeking how we might be able to support the church, not, you know, be against the church and and so on. And I think that has been a predominant um, attitude amongst the supporting in, in ministries, uh, whether they are lifestyle centers or whether they are training programs, educational facilities that may not be owned and operated by the Adventist church, but they are definitely uh, 100% staffed by Adventists. They're following the council and they're seeking to support the church. and. Uh, you know, and maneuver people into, uh, you know, the conferences, and so we have quite a few individuals that have come through UG Pines that are pastors or uh, in union positions or conference positions, um, and uh, and are very supportive of the church. Now, as far as the, as far as the idea, as far as ownership is concerned, um, you know, I think that that both the models. Um, are models that can be seen in the spirit of prophecy. Um, she did advocate that that um, that the lifestyle centers, uh, you know, that we should have them that are that are owned and operated by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But she was also very instrumental in in starting Madison. And Madison specifically, I mean, under her instruction was not to be placed under the the ownership of the church directly. And while she was there later after the school was going, she said, all right, this spot where we're at right now here, this is a good place for you guys to have a sanitarium. And within, you know, a couple of days, it was plowed and and the place was, you know, they were getting ready to do that. And so under her instruction, you had an institution that was not owned and operated by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it was developing under her in her direction, a lifestyle center or a sanitarium uh, in that location as well. So we see both of those models. But that really, again, the purpose is to work together. It's for the salvation of souls. It is to work in unity. It's to work in harmony. And I would really love to see more. Lifestyle centers that are directly owned and operated by the church and see those operating. I've seen uh, one I have seen one down in Brazil. Um, and uh, that I have been to and I have visited and I think there's probably a couple others around the world uh, that are wet that way, but I'd love to see more of those.
0: Dr. John. Yeah,
1: I appreciate what you've shared, Dr. Mark. the The thing I um, I do think, however, that the self-supporting work um, was a is different from what this statement is talking about here. Um, I d- I do agree that the, she obviously wanted there to to be um, a branch of the work called self-supporting that was not under the conference um, management and control, but. This statement I believe that we have on the screen is talking about a different situation, uh, in my opinion. And so I agree with you, I'd love to see um, sanitarium or lifestyle uh, center work uh, as done by the conference. And in fact, I have uh, chosen um, multiple times in my career not to take a position that would have um, been desirable in some ways because it was too independent Of the church. I I don't want to do that. I want to uh, preferentially work with God's uh, people. It's frustrating, of course, because we're all sinners and we're all uh, selfish and we all have all all of our faults. Uh, And they're on display, of course, um, in our churches. Um, A very political entity. If you've you've ever worked with the church, this is not a criticism. This is a statement of fact uh, that there's a lot of political maneuvering that's not very pretty but it is god's church it's the apple of his eye and we can do the do the work with the the conference and i'm very very supportive of, of that the one thing i will say though about what's happened that makes this difficult is that because the church um, has hospitals uh, hospital systems and the there's a salary ranges you you cannot right now operate Sanitariums on the same pay scale as hospitals because the reimbursement the 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 payer uh, funds are not there uh, and so until we can get lifestyle medicine reimbursed like like pharmaceutical medicine or surgery we won't be able to operate a, um, a lifestyle center on the salary level of, of the conference, you know, medical pay scale. Um, but I do believe that, that that's our goal uh, should be our goal. I don't have, I mean, I, I haven't drawn pay as a physician since I left Loma Linda. I don't think I, I, I buy choice. I volunteer almost everywhere. I have been paid um, where I get, where I actually do accept pay is when I'm training physicians. Uh, I don't, I generally accept pay for treating patients, but I do accept pay for training physicians. And uh, so I know that it's possible. And just like Mark shared, I have, I've never been hungry. I've never been without transportation. And sometimes I've had things given to me that I don't know how the person knew I needed that, but, uh, it was just so wonderful that thank God, you know, he provided it.
0: Amen to that. Well, you know, uh, everyone, uh, you know, those of you who've been to our other webinars, you know that we try to be very strict with time. So it is 8.08, so if you do have to leave, uh, please, uh, you can do so freely. Dr. John and Dr. Mark said they do have extra time to kind of answer our questions. So those of you who want to stick around and pick their brains for a little bit longer, they are all volunteering their time. So we'll stick around and a- answer questions. But if you do have to leave, then feel free to do so. We really appreciate you joining with us. All right, so we're going to get to some questions, Dr. John, Dr. Mark, if that's okay. Um, Looking forward to it. Great. So uh, there's one here. Uh, uh, Dr. Pekka he has a question. Um, he says, why, why do the speakers or yourself think Santin work is Adventism's mystic stone? So kind of going back to our title. So like, why did she use that term? That's kind of, That's odd. Like, you don't really see that anywhere else in the spiritual prophecy, right?
1: Uh, that's really interesting. So what, what, what would you conjecture? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I'll go first, uh, Dr. Mark. So um, my thinking is that this is, um, I think she used it, this term uh, because it's the mystery of, of godliness. In my opinion, in my belief system and understanding, it's when we combine physical healing and spiritual evangelistic effort. That's the, if you will, the mystic stone of of, of the gospel, of of uh, the everlasting gospel that we need. And so I believe, you know, the statement. She says that soon. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. This this is where what we are, uh, I believe, are prophesied is going to happen. We are we're going to find the medical missionary work is going to be the single uh, embodiment, if you will, of the ministry of Christ, and um, so that's my that's what I think the the term mystic stone is
0: talking about. Interesting, Dr. Okay. you the other thought.
2: Um, well, it talks about the stone being instinct with life, and so it's not usual for us to think about a stone being alive, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the things that gives it's kind of i guess the mystic notion of it and it's rolled by an invisible hand and it grows while it rolls um and so here you have something where of course the invisible hand is related to god he's the one that's rolling the stone and while the stone is in motion right it's not when it's still but while this stone is in motion it's it it is growing and it has life and and when it's set in motion. You can imagine that this is probably on the side of a hill, that uh, as, as this is put in motion, that it's going, to, it's going to continue to grow, it's going to continue to gather inertia, um, God is going to continue to use it. And another analogy that she uses is, uh, is many streamlets uh, coming together. Into a single stream, and then covering the entire earth. And I think that the stone analogy is one where it's approximating again those little streamlets that are coming together, and uh, and forming the whole, you know, covering the whole earth. Right. Okay, and good. oh, and and one other thing is is the 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 other reference to a mystic stone, is the one that was cut out without hands, and struck the image in the toes. Right in the feet, and then was set up as a mountain that could not be, uh, could not be removed. And so uh, I think that a, uh, a a central component of God's kingdom being set up as an everlasting kingdom is going to be this: the lifestyle centers or the medical missionary work.
0: Great, great. We have your question from Elaine Lugishan. I think this is going back to the size of the same term. So maybe just ask to clarify. Maybe Elaine didn't fully understand. So how small is small based on LNGY White writings? And so from what I understand, uh, like a, it was about a hundred beds was kind of like what Ellen White was saying, about hundred beds, hundred uh, ninety beds, something like that. So Max, can you maybe yeah. clarify, Maximum. That was, the, yeah,
1: right. that was the, yeah. That was the maximum. Maximum. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I hope Elaine
0: uh, that answered your question. Uh, if it doesn't, then you could ask the question. You could unmute yourself and ask. But uh, it's about 100 beds maximum, is kind of what uh, they're saying from the councils. Um, okay, uh, Dr. Pekka again. Uh, how do you see schools, specifically grade schools, all the way to university, should be connected with sanitariums? Um, should they be?
1: Well, I think that we have really clear counsel that um there's synergy for a school and a sanitarium to work together. I'm not aware of this of specific counsel saying there's synergy for grade school but i but I know that um children uh godly children can are a tremendous um what shall i say blessing and and uh, to uh grandparent age. Patients. I mean, I see it all the time in lifestyle centers where we have uh, children on campus that uh, interact in the evening programs, let's say, with patients and, um, and guests, and it, it's, it's very positive. But as far as the school, um, I will say one thing I think that we haven't tapped into, and that is I do believe one of the synergies between schools and sanitariums uh, involves agriculture. You know, agriculture is the ABC of education, so every school theoretically, and, and, and according to the council, should have some kind of an agricultural gardening program. Well, that would be great uh, synergy for a lifestyle medicine uh, sanitarium because we need to, to be growing our, our own food to the extent we can.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark, any comments?
1: Uh yeah similarly we're told that the uh
2: the schools should be associated with sanitariums and the sanitariums with the schools I agree I don't I haven't found anything in Spirit of Prophecy that indicates that that is on an elementary level um mm-hmm. but on a high school college level that's definitely the case and uh, sanitariums were were meant to um were Sorry, we're we're meant to uh, be associated with uh, students and helping to train them, and there was going to be a cross synergy between the two. So the schools would be benefited by the sanitariums, and the sanitariums would be benefited by the schools.
1: I'll tell you, frankly, uh, frankly, many adults appreciate physiology education that's at a level an elementary uh, student can understand. Sometimes that we get above the person's um understanding and it's not nearly as satisfying to them as when it's it's explained in a very simple way
0: right mm-hmm. right great great okay just a few more questions here if, that, if you don't mind so gabriel mcneil's asking questions about how about home-based like sanitariums like you know home-based wellness type of uh, thing. so what are your thoughts on that uh, that's a very kind of new, new concept so
1: well, I didn't, Mark, Dr. Mark didn't jump in, so let me, my <laughs> thought about that is uh, I have had, I believe uh, my wife and I have had a home that we operated as, I would say, a home sanitarium. That was before I was a physician, actually, and we had pe- neighbors that we um, had, you know, that we t- helped take care of. In some cases, uh, they stayed overnight, but oftentimes it was just, you um, um, Teaching them uh, a healthy dietary and and giving them uh, instruction and in how to do hydrotherapy treatments um, but I, to me a homestyle sanitarium is Is the analogy I would use is homeschooling. I remember when I first started doing homeschooling with my kids it was probably 35 years ago or something and uh, and initially, it, we had the we we tried to duplicate what the kids were doing at school. You know, we had classrooms, we had a we had a schedule, we had a desk. You know, we made it look like a school. And as we did this more, we realized, you know, that's that's not what it takes. The learning is not about having a classroom setting. And and we became we became less and less structured and more and more engaged, and um, and the kids loved it more and we liked it more and. And so in a similar way, I think you can overdo trying to make a home like a sanitarium. A home-style sanitarium is more home-like than it is sanitarium-like. Great point. Oops, he's on mute.
2: All right, there we go. Um, And it could be that others are muted and they can't unmute themselves because your setting might be on and they, they can't unmute themselves. Um, uh, yeah, in regards to that, absolutely. I think that, the, I think that home, home-like sanitariums are a great idea. They're a great opportunity. Um, and exactly as John said, it should be more home-like and less sanitarium-like. Um, and so, you know, just simply living with a family, eating with a family, uh, getting accustomed to the regular Adventist lifestyle um and it doesn't have to be heavy on treatments or anything else like that you can just you know you just eat with them and say well hey this is healthy and those things are not and maybe you have videos sitting around and you can just show them you know different videos on different aspects go out to the garden to work together go for a walk talk um you know talk about their life and and what you've learned from the bible and you know and other types of things like that uh franklin kobos had a a very good presentation at amen a number of years ago and uh, at the time there was uh well basically a two billion dollar investment in a certain building um, in order to end up with about, oh, I don't know, around 800 to 1,000 patient beds. And uh, he was highlighting that if we just spent $250,000 per property, we could purchase 8,000 properties uh, around however many places, have an Adventist family in each of those properties with one extra room, just one extra room. And you would have 8,000 beds where, where people could come to and... Uh, you know, and they could they could just be there and just learn the Adventist lifestyle by by living with a family. You know, um, and how much how much benefit would that have? It it highlights the benefit of having things smaller rather than bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the bigger it gets, the more complicated it is, the more expensive it is to continue to function, the more staffing that you have to have in the middle in order to make things function with communication and so on and so forth. So the smaller it is, the more efficiently that it can run and it can function. And, uh, you know, I mean, even UG Pines, UG Pines, we only have 20, you know, 20 guest rooms. We have a maximum of 40 people that we can take. Okay, okay. I don't think we've ever seen that many. Anyways, but, um, you know, but even then, there's, there's a lot of staffing and there's a lot of uh, expense that goes into the ancillary services that help to make that thing function. But if it was smaller, if it was if it was a bunch of even smaller places, then the same amount of money that takes to run UG Pines could run probably multiple other smaller little facilities that would end up having at least the same capacity that Yuchi does.
0: Right, right. All right, Daniel, our host is saying we have to close up. So just one last question, just very quickly to both of you. So this is a very incisive question from Claudia. So, you know, uh, at these lifestyle centers, you know, you do like the cooking classes, a lot of the physical stuff, walking, but why do you think there's uh, issues where it's kind of more social like us uh, other factors, you know, like, uh, uh, income income gap or like joblessness or just something uh, that's not necessarily physical but more uh, these other factors how do you address those at a LAFSA center can you
1: well I'm thinking of a patient that we had in a um, last year at a program I was doing in Michigan with my wife and there was a, a lady who came she did have some definitely she had some health issues she more or less had metabolic syndrome and and um, those kind of things, lifestyle diseases. She was in her forties. She was not an elderly person, <clears throat> a mother with children at home, and we quickly discovered um, that something was amiss um, besides physical. And it turned out that her marriage was in deep, deep trouble, and um, things were were very challenging. and um, And so I brought my wife in to the the visits. Uh, with her being a lady, number one and number two, so there were two of us, and we, and and my wife and I are married people. We 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 have married people problems. We have we've worked through some of those. We some of well we we haven't had any that we haven't worked through, obviously, because we're still here. But my point is, uh, a cute way of saying, but we have some experience with challenges in the marriage. I think every married couple do, sometime. And um, long story short, it was. The thing that she most appreciated about the time in our immersion program was actually not the medical; it was the counseling and and um, advice and praying together, and um, you know, a, a confidential ear that she could talk to without having to, you know, condemnation or having to explain. And we, you know, we were there to. Uh, to pray together. We, we told her we we if you're just going to complain about your husband We would rather not hear that But if we want to talk about Relationships talk about what God is able to do We'll talk about that freely with you. So anyway um, Yes, there are definitely patients that come to our lifestyle center that the main problem is not a physical health problem but um and, and I find it a wonderful environment for dealing with those things, if you're willing. You know, we have to be willing to engage because some people, um, I know some physicians, their approach would be, you know, I'm not trained in that. I, I don't know anything about marriage counseling. Well, I don't either, but I, I, I'm i married. Uh, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good point, <laughs> Dr. Mark.
2: Um, yes, I, I see that spiritual issues underlie every other thing that comes along, and so there are sociological issues, relationship issues, um, but there are economic issues as well that impact uh, that as well. We are told that um, that if everyone did as well as they knew to do, that ninety percent of diseases would disappear, right? So, so that means that even whatever your context is, and whatever situation that you're in, if you do at least as well as you know, then, then uh, 90% of individuals are going to heal from that. And so there's a gap between what we know and what we do. And so that gap really is a spiritual gap. Uh, And it's something that can, that gap can only be filled by the one who never had that gap. And that was Jesus. Jesus never had a gap between what he knew and what he did. He always did what he knew. And so to, to connect them to Christ, who was the one who was gapless. Mm -hmm. is the one who can then close the gap for them in a faith relationship with them. And, and then as they do that, whatever their situation that's in God will work with them. And he has a thousand ways where they have none. And so they might be in a socioeconomic situation where it seems impossible, but it's not because God has a way of getting them out of it. And so if we can bring them and attach them to Christ and they can put their faith and trust in him, then he can work with them through his Holy Spirit day by day in whatever their context and whatever their situation has in order to bring them to freedom in Christ.
0: Amen. Well, Dr. John and Dr. Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time and extra time to really speak with us. There's several of us here on the line who have a real deep burden for the work, especially here in Ontario, and um, and we really appreciate the insights that you you've uh, brought to the table today. Uh, I've learned a lot myself, and for those of you who are uh, viewing here, we thank you so much for joining. We are we have recorded this, and we plan to upload this and have it for. For, for the future so if you know others who are really interested in sanitary work we want you to connect with us so we can get you hooked up with this webinar we, that we just did so that they can learn those of you those who are interested also you know we are uh, here at last us medicine institute we continue to upload different topics on last us medicine also on uh, health adventures and topics and this is the website lininstitute.org hope you can continue to check in just to um, keep on learning more about last us medicine and so forth And hopefully, Dr. John and Dr. Mari could continue to come on in the future as well to contribute. So, thanks. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. We really appreciate it. And I hope that this has been a blessing to you. And uh, really, let's uh, get the mystic stone rolling. And uh, may the Lord really bless the work that each of us are doing. So again, yes. thank you everyone for joining on. Thank you, Dr. Mark and Dr. John. If, if
1: You know, I would like to ask, Dr. George, would you pray that God will bless this, um, this uh, stone and, uh, and do mighty things with it?
0: Amen, yes. So uh, yeah, let's close the session with a prayer. So let's, uh, let's do that. Lord God, you um, clearly stated that sanitary work is one of the most effective means of reaching people, and you really Amen. want your church to get involved. So Lord, we want to just pray for everyone on the call, Lord, that you've really given us a burden and a sense of calling to make this happen. But Lord, we may have us short on resources, and we lack the knowledge and understanding. We ask that you would give us wisdom. Lord. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for Dr. John and Dr. Mark and their contributions today. We ask the Lord that you bless Dr. John and his work at ACLM, and UG Pines Institute, Lord, we ask that you continue to do the mighty work that it's doing. And for the many places here in North America, in Ontario, Canada, and around the world that have yet to see an Adventist sanitarium, we ask the Lord that through your mighty power, that sanitarium can be established in many places, mm-hmm. as you counseled us. So, Lord, we trust you and we, we want to be used by you. And may this be our experience, we pray in Jesus' name.